The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. I love Christmas. I really do. But part of it is because I get Christmas, so I get super excited about it. Um, typically, now we're not one of those, those people, don't take this offensively if any more than it's offensive, but um, I'm not one of those freaky people that starts putting up Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving, but um, if you are, that's okay. We love you too. Welcome to the house this morning. Um, but, uh, but we're close. We're close because typically after Thanksgiving's done, the next thing we do is we start pulling out um, decorations and stuff. And this year we had a family wedding on Thanksgiving. And so our, we were traveling. Our time was tight and it's been a busy week. So today when we get home from church, I will be in the garage. I will be pulling Christmas stuff out and we do that stuff together because um, we just love it. But you know, what's funny is with all the hustle and bustle and what Christmas has become. And for some people, Christmas is a very difficult season. It's a dark season. It's a reminder of loss and family and people that, loved ones that used to be able to do Christmas with that are no longer with us. And so it's a lonely time. Actually, suicide rates go up during the holidays um, when people battle with depression and that kind of thing. So it's not easy for everybody. Our society doesn't make Christmas all that easy either. Amen to that? Anybody here watch the 25 Days of Christmas on TV? The movies? Man, don't be liars this morning. There's somebody, all right, thank you. Somebody back there. Right, you know, one of the TV, one of the TV uh, uh, channels is ABC, NBC, somebody. They start right on December 1st and start showing Christmas movies, right? 25 days of Christmas. And uh, did you notice that they were showing some Christmas movies before Thanksgiving this year? So they're lying about 25 days. It's more than that. And Halloween wasn't fresh over before Christmas stuff was in the stores this year. We're traveling on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day, to Wilmington to have Thanksgiving with the family. And there were stations playing Christmas music. I mean, the turkey's not even cold. And they're playing Christmas music. And uh, it's amazing how that is changing. It's like Thanksgiving doesn't matter. Now, let me ask you this. Did anybody in here shop on Black Friday? Okay, I've done it once. I've done it one time. One time I've done it. Years ago, we were visiting my in-laws. We were down in Georgia, and we went out for Black Friday, and it stresses me out. People are like angry and upset and pushing each other around. And Victoria, she's sitting on the front row. She'll tell you some, a year or some later, she was out on a Black Friday with the sisters-in-law, whatever. I did not go. And there was, she had a, a, a box, a shoe box with boots in it on Black Friday, a deal on that, and had a lady shove her down in the floor and take the boots from her and say, these are mine. True? Yeah. It happened. Pushed her down and took her boots. And uh, it's a crazy thing. Well, look. I'm not against you getting a good deal, okay? I mean, that's good stewardship, right? If you save money here, you'll have more money to be generous and love on somebody and support the angel tree, right? I mean, it's good. You can give to somebody else. I'm not against good deals. But I thought this was very interesting. I saw this on the internet. It says, Black Friday, when people trample others for cheap goods mere hours after being thankful for what they already have. <laughs> now listen, 
We talked about in this last series of messages about John 10, verse 10. Um, I know it's Pastor Jamie's favorite passage of Scripture. It's one of mine. There's a very clear issue here. We talked about two economies, if you remember. There's the enemy and his economy, the world's economy, and there's God's economy. And in John 10:10, it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, take, consume, rob, and Jesus comes that we might have life and life to the full, that he gives and gives more. Now, it only makes sense then that a holiday that we as believers have chosen to celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world, the best thing that's ever happened, the ultimate expression of who God is in terms of generosity that God just gives, and God just wants to pour himself out, and God came so that we could become like him, and we would become generous and overflowing people, that the enemy would take the thing that we have come to celebrate, um, the the God who gives, and turn it into a consuming self-worship experience right? Where we see how much we can get and how much we can get for what we got. And then next year we're dissatisfied and we do it all over again, right? Because we certainly don't have enough. Where the enemy would just work on our mindset subtly and begin to come against the thing that we need to be most focused on, not just at Christmas, but every day of our lives that God gives, that God came to show us something. God came to reveal himself to us so that we would really see what this life that he created us for was all about. Now, here's the deal. People get confused about the holidays. I get that. One, because the holidays are confusing. I mean, atheists celebrate Christmas. Many of them, right? They're out on Black Friday. They're going to give somebody presents, a lot of them. Now, I know that Christmas has its roots in a lot of places, but we as believers have come to celebrate the birth of our Savior in this season. Yep. Okay. And so there's a lot of people that don't see it that way. And their perspectives of the season or their perspectives of who Jesus is and who he came to be and what God wanted to reveal to us through Jesus come from a lot of things. I mean, some of them, it's from some pain they've had in religious experiences, or they believe that God's just angry and they've got to perform good enough to get him to like him. Or that it's, uh, you know, God is, if we're good enough, then God's going to give us what we want and what we need. If we're not, we're like, he's like Santa Claus and we're on the naughty list. And God's going to give us a lump of coal. Um, people get their perspectives from pain and past. People tend to frame their image of God around their fears and around their pain. Often. What they're afraid of, what uh, the unknown, that kind of thing. I don't advocate watching this movie. I told the first service I would neither confirm nor deny whether or not I've ever seen this movie. But there's a movie with a character named Ricky Bobby in it. And uh, the name of the movie is Talladega Nights. And there's a scene in this movie where they're sitting around the dinner table and they're getting ready to pray over their meal. And Ricky Bobby says, dear cute little baby Jesus, and your gold leaf diapers and your cute little chubby hands. And his wife interrupts him and says, that's not what Jesus is like. And the father, old guy, sitting at the table and he goes, Jesus is grown and he has a beard. And then the kid at the table goes, the kid goes, well, I like to think of Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. <laughs> and then the other guy, his friend at the table says, well, I like to think of Jesus with a tuxedo t-shirt on where it kind of says he's formal, but he also likes to party. I, I like to think my Jesus likes to party. <laughs> People have all kinds of perspectives about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Right? Some of us think about cute little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. 
Some of us think about that. Some of us think about angry Jesus or absent Jesus or that he was just a good historical figure with some good principles on how to live your life. Well, we don't really get to determine that question. God answered the question of who Jesus is. He declared it resoundingly for us. And uh, he did not want to miss it. And you know, you and me and everybody around us, everybody in the world, everybody who's ever lived has been broken and is in need of a savior. When we talked about the story of the prodigal son where the son leaves the home and wanders off in the far country, every single one of us have been the lost son. And we've either met Jesus or we have the opportunity to meet Jesus today. Right? Every single one of us have been that person in need of a savior. Romans tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now there's certain passages of scripture that you guys hear me share most every Sunday repetitively. Why? Because we are always going to preach the cross of Jesus Christ in this church. We're always going to preach Jesus as Savior. We're always going to preach that he is risen indeed and that we can be filled with his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to preach these things here. Why? Because they're true. And we can't say them enough and they don't get old to us. And it is important that we understand our beginnings and what Jesus has done for us. And over in the book of Ephesians, which is one of the ones I read often to you guys, I want you to listen to this again. How do we get messed up perspective on God and who Jesus is? Chapter 2, verse 1 in the book of Ephesians says this. As for you, that word you is plural. That means every single one of us. As for all of us, it could be said, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, Black Friday, and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to do that this morning, but that's where we have the story of Adam and Eve. God had created this family and his children. They're perfectly in the garden, perfectly with God, perfect relationship. And all they have to do is obey and love him and be with him. And they make the disobeying choice The family gets broken. They sin. They eat of the tree they were told not to, right? And what do we see happening next? Immediately, Adam hides, right? And God comes in the cool garden. Adam, where are you? Remember the story? Why did Adam hide? And everybody goes, well, it's because he blew it, right? Your children hide when they think they're going to get a spanking because they've had a spanking before. Or at least a threat of one. But I want you to think with me for a second. Adam has never had a bad encounter with God. Adam's never been spanked by God. Adam had no reason to hide. God had never given him a reason to hide. He was perfectly with God. God had given him everything. But he sins, and the image of God that he was created in has been marred, and all of a sudden, sin gives him an incorrect perspective of who God is. And he's praying to ninja Jesus or right? Or tuxedo Jesus, right? He's hiding because he has a wrong perspective of God now. His perspective has been marred and skewed. Not God's fault, but it's the sin nature in us. The other day, um, it was Thursday morning, um, uh, typically the way our routine in our house works is um, I get the kids up in the morning, Lisa's making lunches and whatnot, and I help get the kids ready. And then I take Olivia and Joseph to school. 
And uh, because you know, I drop Olivia off at Kittyhawk Elementary, drop Joseph off at First Flight Middle, and then I come on to the church most mornings. And, uh, and so it's just part of our routine. So I'm trying to get him out the door, and I had asked Olivia a question related to getting ready and getting out the door, and she didn't answer me. And so I said to her, Olivia, and I asked her again, she didn't answer me. Have you ever noticed that your children could be like zombies in the morning? And so I raised my voice a little bit and I asked her again. I'm like, Livy, you need to speak to me. She didn't answer. And the more I got louder and the stricter on her, the more she kind of shrunk up and hung her head, you know. And I'm going, Olivia. And finally, I go, if you don't answer me, I am going to punish you. Right? She never did answer me, by the way. Funny enough, I did tell the first story. This is true. Actually, later in the day, that day, Lisa had taken the kids out to get Christmas pajamas, pajamas, which is one of the traditions we have. And so the kids were just grumpy, you know, and Livy's still, I guess, still a zombie. And so Lisa says to Joseph, she's like, what is the matter with you guys? He goes, I'm grumpy because she's grumpy. And Livy goes, well, I was grumpy first, is what Olivia said. <laughs> Actually, true story. But, you know, God never responded to us like that. God, as we're going to see here, if you flip over to Isaiah chapter 7, he didn't scream and holler, scream and holler, scream and holler, and then finally show up because the world was messed up and not responding to him and not responding to him and not responding to him. And he didn't finally step in on the scene and go, I am God, bow or burn. He didn't do that. It's not what he did. People treated him like he would do that. And people didn't respond to him. Well, right here in chapter 7 in the book of Isaiah, Israel has been in a season where they've had difficult times, in a season where armies are rising up, things are getting difficult. And God, as God has always been, wanting to reveal himself, wanting his children to see him, wanting his children to come home, is telling Ahaz, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll give you a sign. In other words, I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm going to be with you. And Ahaz is like, no, 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 God. No, you know, I don't want to test you. Wrong perspective on God. I don't want to test you. And God, God gets, gets irritated, right? And they wind up in some discipline because God does discipline, but God does not punish his children. Punishment tends to be punitive. The Bible says that perfect love drives out, drives out fear. And God is perfect love, right? And the Bible says that fear has to do with punishment. But God will discipline his children to bring them home, right? He always does things for a redemptive purpose. So he does discipline them at a time. But then God says this in chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So God says, look, I'm going to give a sign to you. I've got something I want to show you, that I want to reveal myself to you. God wanted to show them who he truly is. God wants to show us who he really is. God was saying, I'm going to show everyone my answer for the mess that you're in. This is what God was saying. And the sign is this, that the virgin is going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So God's answer to them was, I'm not going to kick your tail and make you act right. God's answer, I'm going to show up and I'm going to straighten everybody out. God's answer was, I'm going to show up and be with you. I'm coming and I'm going to be with you. God revealing his heart. 
you flip over to the first chapter of John with me, which is where we're going to spend our bulk of our time today. You see in Luke and Matthew the accounts of the birth of Christ, which hundreds of years before Isaiah was prophesying, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God said, I'm going to give this to you. I'm coming. I'm going to be with you. And we see this unfold here in the Gospels. John has the shortest account. Kind of uh, Luke tells us about Mary and the angel coming to Mary and what the angel said to her and the circumstances there. And Matthew, you have the account where the angel comes to Joseph and, you know, says, hey, dude, you need to take this chick as your wife, right? And uh, you need to love this boy that's coming. It says that people will call him Emmanuel, says in Matthew. Again, confirming what Isaiah has said. John gives us what's taking place in the supernatural. Gives us the big picture with Jesus' verse. And if you look down at verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says this, the fulfillment of what Isaiah had said. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Read that again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, who is God, was born as a human and made his dwelling among us. Was God's sign, was God's answer to our mess. Now, often we think about the Christmas story and we have maybe the Ricky Bobby mindset and we think about the cute little baby in the manger, right? Right? Or maybe you think about Christmas and we think it's all a sham and God's really not who he says he is and he's absent and it's just a difficult time and it's over-commercialized. We get all these different perspectives about this. I don't want you over the coming weeks with us, and we're going to be on a journey for the month, going through these ideas about what it means for the word to become flesh. What was packed in that? Uh, Corey, um, director of school of ministry, talked about the prodigal son with me one day. You remember that story? And he said, Scott, that's a bottomless story. No matter how many times you get into it, there's more in there that God shares and God does. The Christmas story is the same thing. It's a bottomless story. There's more that God will reveal. And I don't want you to think about this. Yep, it's Christmas season. We're going to talk about baby Jesus and manger and being born and angels and all of that. No, 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 no. I want you to really hear what God wanted you to hear over these coming weeks who he is, why he came, what it means for you. And in this season, I want you to think about bringing somebody. Why? Because they need to know who he really is and why he came, what it means for them, what it means in our community. So I want to encourage you to do that. God became flesh and dwelled among us. Another rendering of this passage by Eugene Peterson in that paraphrase of scripture called the message, he says this, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. And Luke, Gabriel tells Virgin Mary to name her son Jesus. And Matthew, we find out, He's the guy. He is God with us. In Isaiah 7, God's coming. In John 1, we see how this unfolded. How something unfolds is important, right? Wife comes home, new haircut. How do you like my haircut? And I go, "Uh, I like it. Or I go, I like it. How is important. How God unfolded this thing matters. It means something about you. 
It means something about God's perspective of the world. It means something about him. How this thing unfolded tells us a whole lot. The first thing it tells us is that we're valuable to God. I want you to think about this. God did not treat us as a nuisance. God did not treat us as a problem to be fixed. God pursued us with a desperation and a relentless desire to bring us home. If you're a parent in here, and I'm there may be someone here and you've had a child run away, or you've been in the store and your child was missing for 10 seconds, and all of a sudden everything in your life stopped and you came down to a laser focus of one life focus and desire that was all-consuming, which is I'm going to find my child. Some of you know that feeling? I do. If you've met Olivia, that chick runs. She just goes, right? Tells us something about God. This hot pursuit of God when he had the decision to reveal himself and pursue mankind. That's what we see. We are that valuable to God. We're not a problem to be fixed. It shows us that his nature is to love and to care and to redeem. Tells us something. God said, I want them to know who I am and I want them to know what I'm like. So John 1.14, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. We have beheld the glory of the one and only son, the true one from the father. I want us to look at just a couple of things getting into this before we lead into the next couple of weeks for us to understand some things about what this passage really means. The first thing I want you to lay hold of today is that Jesus became one of us. The impolite phrase would be that Jesus put on a meat suit. It's nasty, isn't it? Not just a nasty thought. Well, yeah, you know what? It's a nasty thought. God and all of his holiness and perfection, needing nothing in heaven, all the riches of eternity, all the wisdom, all the power comes down and puts on dirty, limited flesh. In all of our pain and darkness and sickness, he didn't have to, but he did. The word became flesh. Boy, that means so much for us. He knows what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be limited. Unlimited God knows what it's like to be limited. Now, there was never a moment where Jesus was not God, but there was never a moment after he was born in the manger where he was more than human. There's this incredible mystery of being completely God and completely man. If you look back at the first verse of John chapter 1, as you've got your Bibles in there, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Tells us some things. This little baby in a manger had always been. There was never a moment where that Word, Jesus, where he had never existed. We also know that that little baby in a manger who was completely God was with God. That's such an interesting phrase. You know what that means? That Jesus, who has always been, who is God, is also part of this perfectly unified trinity. One God in three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was God. So he's always been. He's with God. He is God. He's always been. He is God. He's part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Squeeze down into that feeding trough. And Jesus stepped out from that. And became God with us in the flesh in our broken and dark world. I wrote down here, God expressing himself to us in a way that we could touch, hug, talk with, cry with. 
God who is completely separate from mankind because of the decision mankind had made, the gulf because of sin, now inserts himself right in the middle of it and we could cry on his shoulder. In Hebrews um, chapter 1 verse 3, it says this. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, that he is exactly what God is like. The word, word there is the word logos. Jesus is the word for word, every jot and tittle expression of who God is. That means so much for us. That's incredible because he didn't become less than God while being completely human. I love what uh, Pastor Rick Ezel says. That he says this, the almightiness of God moved in a human arm. The love of God now beat in a human heart. The wisdom of God now spoke from human lips. The mercy of God reached forth from human hands. God was wrapped in human flesh. The second thing we need to lay hold of and how God unfolded this is that God's lived on our street. God moved into our neighborhood. That he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwell there, the word dwelling, literally means to pitch a tent. Got any campers in the house? Anybody like to do that? Oh, you need, man, y'all need to get out more. Um, it means to pitch a tent. Now listen, this will be a throwback to the Old Testament, okay? Where when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and God commanded them to build a tabernacle, a big tent, for his presence to dwell in. And it was the place where people would meet with God. And then under King David's reign, he had a tent and it was called the tent of meeting. And that's where anyone during that season could actually go in the tent and meet face to face with the presence of God. So when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, when God pitched a tent in humanity on our dirty earth, that Jesus is where we meet God. Jesus is where we meet God. We don't have a relationship with a book, right? Although we believe this book is the final authority for faith and practice, what this book leads us in is in a relationship with a real God. Okay? You don't have a relationship with a Sunday service. You don't have a relationship with a small group. You don't have a relationship with a TV preacher. All those things are well and good. But this thing right here is what God gave us to lead us in meeting with Jesus. And Jesus is where we meet God. There's no other place. He pitched a tent in our neighborhood. It's interesting. Um, Eugene's, uh, Eugene Peterson's phrase says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Putting up a tent kind of implies uh, that God wants to be with us in more familiar terms. If God had just come and had built a big house with a wall around it in your neighborhood, right, that would kind of say, I don't want people in. Bouncers at the gate, maybe a little thingy buzz, can't come in unless you got business, Right? But if somebody pinches a tent in your backyard, it's likely that they're going to knock on your door and ask to use your bathroom. Either that or they're going to be in your bushes. And um, they're going to eat food with you at your table. 
Or you might find them pushing your children on the swing in the backyard. The God pitching a tent, God moving into our neighborhood, implies and reveals to us and shows us that God's intention was to be close, to be relational, to be intimate, to do life with us. The third thing I want you to lay hold of today is this. Jesus reveals God's glory. Jesus reveals God's glory. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. The phrase here, we have seen, the phrase here, we have seen, literally means to gaze upon closely. Gaze upon closely. It would be best described as if you took this thing to a laboratory and studied it, is what that really implies. It's not like you saw Jesus at a big conference and you're up in the nosebleed section and Jesus is way down there as a famous preacher preaching it out on the stage with a pretty rocking band behind him and smoke machines and moving lights and you have some emotional encounter there, but no relationship with that famous person on stage. The revelation of God's glory, we have seen him, means that we get to get close and study him. We get to look in his eyes. We get to hear his heartbeat. We get to draw close and know intimate details. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will reveal the secret things of God to you that you don't know. How crazy is that? And here's the cool thing. The promise of the Holy Spirit also says, God's Spirit living in us, when God comes to dwell in us, we submit our lives by faith to Jesus, says that he will cause us to remember everything that Jesus said. Study him closely. Know him deeply. Not some faraway relationship. That's where the glory is. The glory's not at some big event where you're off by yourself somewhere unknown in a crowd. The glory is face to face with Jesus like Moses unveiled, just his face was glowing after he hung out with Jesus. The word glory here is an interesting word as well. Back in Jesus' day, they would weigh money. It's kind of to find out if it's value, to find out if it was fake. Um, it means weight. It means heaviness, glory does. Um, a few elections ago, there was a word that got thrown around a lot during the election, and it was gravitas. You remember that word? He has gravitas. He has presence. He has weight. So when we behold Jesus, we are seeing the full weight of God. The very presence of God. It's not some big crazy manifestation. It is the presence of all the ages in human flesh face to face with us. When we look at Jesus, we are witnessing God's presence that he has made himself available to us and we need to get to know him deeply. So we can ask ourselves a few questions. You want to know what God would do? Get face to face with Jesus and see what Jesus does. You want to know what God would say? Get your ear close to Jesus and see what Jesus says. You want to know how God loves you? Get in here, look at this and look at how Jesus loved people because that's how he loves you. He is the exact representation of the Father. Close to him is where the glory of life is, the life and life to the full that he came to bring. Then he goes on to say here, as you're looking at this passage of Scripture, he says that as the made his dwelling among us, that we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The fourth thing I want to give you today as we get ready to close here is this gives us an invitation. The fact that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth 
That is an invitation to you and me. And if we get a hold of this thing, I'm telling you, you'll be running to the feet of Jesus and slinging your arms around his ankles when you get a hold of this idea that he was full of grace and full of truth. See, you and I, we, we try to balance this thing out. Try to balance truth and grace. Listen, Jesus is not a 50-50 deal. Jesus is complete in himself. It's a 100-100 deal. Jesus is completely full of grace while he is completely full of truth. You and I, not so much. When I'm high on truth, I tend to be a little low on grace. When I'm high on grace, I tend to be a little low on truth. In other words, when I'm irritated with you and I think I'm right, I'm pretty high on truth. I'm right. I might be a little low on grace. And sometimes when we get pretty high on grace, we wind up, negating dealing something we probably need to deal with because we don't want to have a tough conversation or something. But Jesus, full of grace, full of truth, and that in itself is the invitation of the ages. Why? Because that's what calls us to him. When he is full of grace or he is full of grace, he has an irresistible compulsion to give men more than they deserve. The fact that he's full of grace, he has an irresistible compulsion to give men more than they deserve. We deserve death, and he didn't just offer us new life. He offered us his life. I want you to think about that for a minute. When you come into a relationship with God, what you get is his relationship with God. Perfect. No separation. No anger. He's full of truth. That he is determined to be faithful and trustworthy. In Malachi 3, which is a passage of scripture, chapter of scripture we studied in the last series about finances. It says there that the Lord God does not change. God does not change. He is consistent and he is trustworthy in who he is. He is never changing in his dealing with us. It's not like God was good to you yesterday and he's going to be bad to you today. He's trustworthy and does not change. Full of grace, he died for our sins while we were still sinners. Full of truth, he was able to pay that price in full that you and I couldn't pay. Because of his grace, we can come to him without fear. And because he's full of truth, we can trust that he'll keep all of his promises. It's an invitation for you and me. You see, Jesus' mission was broader than the cross. We tend to think about that. I mean, Jesus came, died for the sins of the world. You know, we don't have to burn in hell. That's good. That's a good deal, right? Eternity, smoking or on. We, we prefer not to burn in hell. Hell's hot. Don't like it. And um, it's good. But gosh knows it was so much more than that. Jesus lived in the flesh, on the earth. A sign will be given to you. The virgin will have a son, and he will be God with us. He lived before he died on the cross. Then he rose again, and he gives us life to live after the cross. Okay? So the cross for us should never get old because it reminds us of what it costs God. But that God, it should remind us the extent of his love. But what we need to look at is who he revealed himself to be before the cross perfect revelation of who God is so that now after the cross we can live like that in that relationship that's been revealed to us because that's what the cross purchased for us let's stand together if you will there's a song popular right now on the radio David Crowder and the chorus says the cross meant to kill is my victory okay but it's not just victory over death hell and the grave our victory 
is that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God by faith in Jesus Christ, that he is our father and we are his children, that his mission was also to make a way for all the children to come home so they could fellowship with God, to know him. 2,000 years ago, God pitched a tent down in Nazareth, right? He was born in Bethlehem and then he and his family moved down to Nazareth. But today on this side of the cross, God wants to move into your neighborhood. And he wants us to be people, as we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, that we move into the neighborhood. This morning, I know that there are people in here that either feel distant from God, because that's true every time we get together, because I've been that person in this place, even as your pastor, I have felt distant from God at times. I know there are some of you in here that feel distant from God today. I know that there will probably be some of you in here who may not know Jesus today. There are two responses to Jesus in this passage of Scripture. Back in verse 9, I want to read this to you. John, if you go ahead and you can put something on back there if you would, buddy. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own. God owns everything. But his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now listen, I know that what he is referring to here in this passage is that when Jesus was born, he was born a Jew, and his first ministry was to Jewish people, and the Jews rejected Jesus first, right? And that Jesus dies and raises again, and to everyone who receives him can receive eternal life. But that's true for us today, just as it was for the Jews in the first century, that there are two responses to what I've shared with you today. There are those who receive him not, and there are those who receive him and believe in his name. Two responses to this thing. And when I feel distant, I need to create a manger in my heart for Jesus to be born again. Not that I don't know Jesus, not that I don't know him, but that I'm creating space for the presence of God in my life and say, God, I receive you in this moment. I've been pushing you away. I've been focused on other things and I receive you and believe that you can. I believe that you are. I believe in how you revealed yourself, not just that you revealed yourself. I don't want you just to believe in the what of God. I want you to believe in the how of God. Don't just believe that he's the savior of the world. I want you to believe and receive how he saved the world. It's important. If we receive him not, then we miss what he came to bring. So this morning as we get ready to pray, and if I can have the prayer team come, and I'm going to pray over you guys. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, in just a minute when I pray, I want you to come. Receive him today. These folks will pray and agree with you, and you guys can line up across the front here. And then if you're here today and you felt distant and you're walking through pain and darkness in this season, listen, it was a dark time of history when Jesus was born. Right? Jesus gets born on the scene. Herod freaks out because he hears a king is in there. And suddenly there's the cries of mothers everywhere as babies are slaughtered as he tried to snuff Jesus out. It was dark times that Jesus was born into to be the light of the world. And some of us are in dark times. And I'm telling you, there can be a light in your world. Receive him in that today. And if you've got sickness in your body, It's part of the cross. Jesus bore that for our healing and that's available to us. God gives good gifts to his children. God answers prayers today just as he always had. Let's gather an agreement. If you've got any prayer need today, you can just come and we pray in a minute. 
But listen, this Christmas season, we receive him not or we receive him and believe in his name. That's how it works. You also did get to be the agent of that everywhere you go with people that you invite in the coming weeks. Don't miss that. Don't become a Black Friday Christian. <laughs> right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you came to give. So you came to set us free. You, you came to reveal yourself. You said a sign would be given. And that sign was Jesus. And Jesus is exactly what you were like. He's your very essence to us and we get to see him. We get to hold him in our hearts. We get to read and study his life in scripture. Then we get to know him on a personal level and we know that you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. What an incredible gift, God. And today with open hearts, we wanna say we receive and we believe in the name today. We receive Jesus and we believe in the name and we're gonna celebrate Christmas and it's going to make everybody else ashamed of how they celebrate and decorate their houses because we're so crazy about Jesus because he is the deal. Thank you for moving into our neighborhood, God. Thank you for pitching a tent in our lives, for being close, for doing life with us, for pursuing us with a relentless passion. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As you guys go today, I want you to hug somebody before you leave. If you have any prayer need, you want to meet Jesus, I want you to come on. We want to pray for you. And I would invite you to hang out for about 20 minutes.